Hello, this is Anthony Moerore, and we are at Book Place talking about a book. This is Book Talk at Book Place. And uh, today is a very interesting day, it's a great day. We have an interesting guest. His name is Russell Van, and I'm going to introduce him. He has a wonderful story. And, uh, a good series of books that I know you're gonna love. It's called Ghetto Bastards. Oh, what a name. <laughs> Russell, please welcome to our show. Thank you, thank you, Anthony. Thank you for having me, thank you. Uh, yes, and uh, we are very interested to hear what is all about Ghetto Bastards. I mean, how does that come to be? Well, uh, we all know what a ghetto is, right? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe yes, well, I, I, come, I come from a village in Africa, and sometimes I find it uh, that some people may not get the clear picture of what a village in Africa is. So that's absolutely right. So I'm going <laughs> to say an American ghetto. Okay, let's hear how an American ghetto is like. Right. So an American ghetto is an impoverished area. Yeah. Uh, usually by a certain set of minorities, but not necessarily minorities. They can also be Caucasian, non-minorities also, but it's poor people in a designated area, in a condensed area. Uh, and now you're not gonna tell me you don't know what a bastard is, right? We all know what a bastard is. The world knows what a bastard is. Let's think is what okay. it is. Okay. So my mother and father were not married. I was the product of a teenage uh, pregnancy mm -hmm. and both parents discarded me. Mm -hmm. And both their parents discarded me. Ah. So I was raised by my grandfather's mother. Okay. In the ghetto without mm -hmm. a father. Yeah. So this book um, is the memoirs of me coming of age and learning how to become a man with the trappings of the ghetto, the American ghettos, with the drugs, the violence, the disease, uh, things like that. Very good read. I believe this is going to be interesting. Yeah. So I just want you to see. Oh, yeah. Let's so get a bastard. That's the book we're going to be discussing about. And, yeah. uh, I, it's a series. Yeah. So that's uh, a series. So you have two. Number one. Yeah. Oh, that's the second one. So that's get the get a bastard two. two. And then the third one brings it all together. Okay. That's get a bastard three life after death. Now you're going to ask me, well, what's, why is the life after death? Yeah, I'm gonna say you don't have to read the book to find out about that. <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm currently writing Ghetto Bastard Four. Okay. The American Dream. Mm -hmm. Now this series is okay. I, I I believe as you have you have told us and you have. Uh, I mean, we got the picture that the stories that are in this book are based upon your life story. But it's kind of fiction, isn't it? Or you are accounting every detail with what happened. Please tell us. No fiction. Yeah. I'm accounting every detail. Okay. Because I can kind of say it's almost a post-PTSD because mm -hmm. a lot of things that have happened to my life are traumatic and you don't forget about them. Mm -hmm. They also are used as learning devices to get through life. But okay. nothing is fiction. All of these are uh, my memoirs, what's going on, what has happened in my life, my transition 
from the ghetto, from the Mott Haven section of the Bronx, mm -hmm. a drug infested, poverty stricken area. Yeah. How most of the people of my color mm -hmm. uh, up from that area either end up in jail or dead yeah. or an addict. Okay. And this is a story of how I evaded all of those things. It's a story about what it, what it does is humanize people from the American ghetto. Okay. A lot of times people see movies and they read books about uh, black people from the ghetto mm -hmm. in all ghettos in America, not just the ghetto. I'm from the Bronx ghetto, but there's ghettos all over America. Yeah. Okay? And they make it seem like we're just a monolithic group of people. Mm -hmm. where we're all getting pregnant early, you know, the, the women are all teenage mothers, mm -hmm. uh, the guys are all selling drugs, uh, beating on their women, uh, going to jail, you know, there's more than just that. Yeah, yeah. I think what we've had most is uh, based on these gangster rappers and things like that. Right, that imagery, that narrative is not, right, that's not correct. This okay. book takes it away from there. Now, we would be naive to say I'm going to write a book about the American ghetto, and there's not going to be aspects of that element of the, the violence and the drugs and the women. Okay. But the difference is yeah. that there's not a glorification of it. Mm -hmm. There's not a glamorizing. It's a real. You okay. know, people ain't dying every day. Yeah. You know, yeah. when, when you read these books and you look at these movies, people get shot. Twenty people die in the movie. Mm -hmm. 20 people die in the book. Yeah. In real life, one person died, a whole lot of people going to jail. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So this book talks about the real life struggles, you know, families, people growing up, people that have dreams, ambitions, not as, you know, they want to live this. Everybody thinks when you read these books and you see the narrative that um, the American Black people want to live this ghetto gangster life. Okay. And that's not true. Okay. So give us a better introduction of how you found life when you landed in Bronx. That's where you were born and the basics, the, I mean, going to school, early, the early age and uh, the experiences that you've had. Well, you know, my book is going to tell a lot of it, but I'm going to go and I'm going to keep you, I'm going to keep you on. on, okay, on okay. Don't, don't give it up. Don't give it all out. No, no, no. no. I'm <laughs> going to give you all. I'm, I'm going to tell you how. Um, me growing up, I didn't know who my mother or father or anybody was. Mm -hmm. I was with strangers. That's that's not an easy thing to right. I was with I was with abusive strangers. Mm -hmm. But I thought they were my family because when you're a child, you're talking about two, three years of age. You don't know who anyone is. Exactly. Now if you don't have that time with your mother, which is a our mother and father, which is a basic family bonding time. That's a time that you really start to have that security that really develops that child in a, you know, in, in a security. I didn't get that. So I was with strangers. Then at a point I um, was living with my, well, wait, they were abusive strangers. So I was abused as a child. Yeah. A scar, and that's probably why I wear my sunglasses too. I have a scar on my eye from when I was like two, three years old from being abused. Mm -hmm. And then I end up living with my great grandmother. Okay. Because I guess I was getting tossed around as a child and, mm -hmm. you know, nobody wanted to take me and nobody wanted to have the responsibility. And so I was just, you know, you tossed aside. And you know what happens when you tossed aside, especially with a child, there's no nurturing, there's no love. Yeah. So the child is just self self soothing. Mm -hmm. 
So then I ended up with my great grandmother. Yeah. And she, when she took me in, mm -hmm. which is amazing, because she was about 60. Okay. Taking care of her elderly mother mm -hmm. at the time. And yeah. I think I was four years old when I went to live with her. Mm -hmm. And then um, she took me in and I started to get some love and structure. Okay. Um, she sent me to Catholic school. Mm -hmm. I went there for a little while. Um, but what was happening, you know, looking back, I was acting out. Yeah. I was acting out from all the things that had happened to me mm -hmm. before I got to my grandmother's. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm always fighting because all my life I was always fighting. Yeah. When I was with these people I was with, I was fighting. I was mm -hmm. fighting something. I was fighting the kids. I was being beat by the people. I was, you know, so um she, I went from public school to Catholic school. So then eventually, mm -hmm. my great grandmother, I was always getting into fights. Yeah. From say age, I went with her from, from the first grade to the fourth grade. I was always getting into fights. She always had to come to school. Mm -hmm. You know, I would do crazy stuff, throw a desk across the room, something crazy, whatever. You know what I mean? If somebody, I would, it was always a, a fight mode, yeah. fight a fight mode with me. Yeah. So she ended up sending me to boarding school. Uh, and I went to boarding school for a little while. And it was a hard, she was a waitress. Mm -hmm. So it was a big sacrifice uh, for her at mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. And I went there, of course, you know, it's all boys. And you know how that works, alpha male, you know. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of battling. And when I went in, I was only 10. Okay. And there were boys 14. Mm -hmm. So... I had to do battle with them too. And it was run by Catholic nuns too. And, uh, you know, they were a little uptight, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I had to do battle in there too. Mm -hmm. I battled for respect, you know, won some, lost some, you know what I mean? But as you got older, you won a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, then I, uh, I graduated out of that place, came back to the South Bronx. Okay. And, um, Went to Cardinal Hayes High School. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Um, I haven't heard of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ended up having to leave there. Okay. Which it was a great, great school structure. Uh, great basketball teams. All of this, all of the stuff that I, I I wasn't used to previous. Okay. You know, just more. And um, then I had to leave the school. Okay. For economic reasons. Mm-hmm. Then I had to go right to public school. Okay. Totally different mm -hmm. from private school. Yeah. And in public school was everybody. Everybody from the project. All the poor people. All the poor people. All the gang members. Oh, everybody. Everybody. Everybody going into one box. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, understand, I understand how it is to come from a higher place and come down and Boom, right down to the experience some things you've never had uh, experienced before. But you know what? What's so crazy? Having kids now, I can understand. My grandmother couldn't afford it, so I understood okay. why my great grandmother couldn't afford it. Mm. But I, I see now, even as more neglectful that my parents were and my grandparents were, because they were sitting there allowing me to go into these places, okay. knowing, you mm -hmm. know, hey, he's used to this. Now we're gonna throw him to the wolves. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, if you ever go to private school and then you go right to public school public school right in the middle of the South Bronx. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. It's a whole different. It's it's a whole different you know uh, jungle. I can imagine. Yeah. And um, I end up having to drop out of there because some dudes wanted to kill me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you know, yeah, yeah, getting into knuckleball with some gang members. Yeah. And um, you know, eventually that led to me dropping out of there. I, I got into a job training program. Okay. It had those programs and I, and I learned a skill how to, at that time it was putting in windows and stuff. Okay. And I did that for a little while mm-hmm. and uh, boo that deal, being stupid, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Being young, boo I, that. I, uh, all kinds of, yeah. Yeah, ended up getting caught up with a couple of underworld people. Okay. Oh. Mm-hmm. Got out of that, got out of that real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what I want to mention through all of this, because remember how I told you a lot of narratives about um, the American uh, poor people or American ghetto, yeah. is that we're just one monolithic group of people. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to say is that we're multifaceted. So part of this journey that everything that I'm telling you is, there's a love story there. Okay. I've been with my wife since I was 15. Okay. In a relationship with her, yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's from the ghetto too. Okay. But she's actually totally opposite from my upbringing. Okay. She was raised by two working parents mm-hmm. her whole life. You know what I mean? Yeah. But she was raised in the ghetto. So here we are coming from the same place, but same different, different backgrounds. Yeah. You know I mean? So part of my books also speaks about this love story, speaks about this journey, because yeah. here is a, a a woman who was raised in love. Yeah. With two parents, mm-hmm. you know, like nobody, if you don't have that, no one will ever be able to describe to you the, the love of two parents, being in between two parents when you're a child, you know, in between the bed or something like that. See, I don't know that kind of stuff. I don't know that kind of love, but that forms you as an adult, that forms your relationships and your bonds and how you get close to people. Now she knew that. Yeah. She knew that love. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, all I knew was what I saw. Yeah. And what I saw was people in, you know, uh, superficial relationships. Yeah, and, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Uh, multiple partners. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I was looking at. And like, they would always break up. There was nobody in long-term relationships. The older people that I knew in my life, my grand, my great-grandmother's people, they were together like 30, 40, 50 years and stuff like that. They had that mm-hmm. family bond. But mm-hmm. as far as if you look at my mother, if you look at my, my father or my grandmother, my grandfather, they was just with people in different type of relationships. So looking at them growing up is what I learned, how to love a hard bond in relationship. Those are the experiences that you went through. Right, absolutely. And uh, may God bless your grandmother and great grandmother for <laughs> great grandmother. Yeah. yeah, for standing by you and bringing you up until you went through school. And mm-hmm. all the grandmothers, grandmothers are good people. They are wonderful people. May God bless them. Those people who step in when the parents are not there for the children. And. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I believe that you've got a special part for her in, in your heart. That's that's what I believe. Great grandmother, especially. Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah. she, mm-hmm. she uh, and as I grow older, <clears throat> and I my my children are grown now. 
but I, mm-hmm. go and I have a grandchild. So I understand even more the sacrifice. Yeah. That you, made, you know, and I think we all do that just as parents in general. But then I'm saying as a grand, this, this was a woman, this was her great grandchild, you know, yeah. at that age, I said at 60, you, you know, and taking care of your elderly mother who was probably in her nineties and stuff like that. And we know what that entails taking care. And you bring in a child. Yeah. You know, so as I become older, I, I, I just appreciate it more. And then I look back and say, wow, you know, it makes me, or it's made me a better parent. I think it makes me a good grandparent. Yeah. And uh, the experiences, you tell us of how you were finding yourself in bad path and then correcting the path that you're taking several points in your life like you have uh, been involved in the underworld and then you got out of it. How was that happening? I mean, was it something um, out of the blue? No, it wasn't out of, well, it was out of necessity, mm-hmm. actually. Um, in my book, it's gonna tell you about that. Did I show you that book already? Did I yes, show you that book already? But it's <laughs> the second time to remember. Okay. But um, actually how I kind of got into it and I and the way I was in it was so very minuscule. It was nothing big, but you know, if you get caught and you go to jail, they don't care how minuscule you are. You're still going to jail, right? Mm-hmm. Court or anything like that. But my father was involved in dope. My uncle was involved in dope and cocaine. Mm-hmm. So these are the images and the things that I saw. So to me, it was okay, and I was emulating them. I wanted to be like them. Yeah, I understand. We always we always looking for those right. who are close. These, these to- are my. These are my male role models yeah i guess you, you have to understand too also these are also people who have had multiple women mm-hmm. uh, their relationships aren't you know sustainable yeah. so i'm looking at all of that and that's who i'm admiring that's the only male image i mean any child any male child when he's young and he's growing up is going to be attracted to any male image around him. Mm-hmm. You, you know what i mean whether it's right, right or good bad or indifferent that's your impressionable ages so mm-hmm. i looked at that and that's how i would look at uh you know uh, the, what they would call the game. Yeah. So I would see how my father was, and he had all his nice jewelry, and he he had pretty women, and he had nice cars. You mm-hmm. know, he was always nicely dressed. Hey, you're young and impressionable. This is your father. And I mean, I didn't meet my father my father until I was ten years old, mm-hmm. first time. You yeah. Know what I mean? So this is impressionable. You're like, oh wow. You know what I mean? You want to be like that? My uncle, you know, he was a cocaine dealer, big time coke dealer in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then when he would come to New York and visit my great grandmother, which was his grandmother. Yeah. He was always dressed nice. He had a pretty woman on his arm. He had money in his pocket. You know, he might slip you five or $20, you know, mm-hmm. to you, to me as a child, that's big time. That's big stuff. Yeah. You know, that's so impressionable. I want to be like that. Mm-hmm. So anytime opportunities came up that, you know, I might be able to indulge, just kind of make some money. Yeah. I would see other people doing it because I'm in the ghetto. All you had to do is throw a rock. You can find drugs. You know, throw a rock. You can find somebody that's going to sell some drugs. You know what I mean? Throw a rock. You're going to find somebody that's going to buy some drugs. So that was very easy. The whole point is not getting caught going to jail. You know what I mean? That's the whole game. Uh, thing. So um, I got involved a little bit with the crack game. Mm-hmm. Okay. But was miserable at that because one, I didn't know how to cook it really. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to cook it, and I didn't have a supplier. So then you got to go through other people to get a supply yeah. and cook it. And of course, 
people who are cooking is crackheads. So they smoking it as they're cooking it. So there goes the money. Yeah. And then the people you go in to get the supply from, they know you really don't know about this stuff. And mm -hmm. drugs, the criminal element is a dirty game. So everybody's going to rob you. So if you give that man $200, he probably going to buy you $150 worth of whatever and keep 50 in his pocket and come bring you the stuff. You don't know the difference. So, right. So I, I was kind of like that in the game. You know what I mean? And then yeah. how I got to that was one night we bagged up a whole bunch of, can I say crack and all that stuff? Right yeah. there? Okay. <laughs> bagged up a bunch of crack. Bottled it and all that. We had this crackhead cooking for us, mm -hmm. right? Went to this guy. This guy took us to this other guy's house. He cooked up the stuff. He bought, you know, um, bottled it all up. Now, my partner, a friend of mine, he's in this book too. He was carrying it. So we went, we, he put it in his pocket and we were leaving and we left the building and we was walking down the street to go to where we would sell it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, we just hear, don't move or I'll blow your, your fucking head off. Excuse my language, but I love that. And yeah, but watch out there. Okay, but that's what it, they said, you know. And uh, of course, we didn't move. <laughs> Put your hands up, get against the wall, and got against the wall, and then the cops start going through my pocket. They were undercover. Mm -hmm. So I guess they saw us come from the store or something. I don't know what was it. But what happened now was they were looking for other people. They were looking for these guys who were robbing people. They were robbing cab drivers. Mm -hmm. And me and my friend, of course, we, we fit the description. Two black guys, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So when they got us, they patted us down. I didn't have anything on me. You know, he just had the gun to my head, told me he's going to blow my head off, you know. Mm -hmm. And then he said, okay, you got anything on you like your friend over there? So I said, no. So then I hear him talking to my friend. He pats him down. He takes everything out of his pockets and stuff like that, which was a good amount. He mm -hmm. could have went. And then he said, today's your lucky day. Okay. He says, all you're going to have to do is start over. And he takes my friend and he walks him down to the sewer and he has him throw everything in the sewer. Okay. And then they let us go. Wow. And right there I said, that's enough. <laughs> That's it. So that was your, that was your turning point. Bam! <laughs> Let's go. That's it, dude. I, that's, that's just it. like that. And we wasn't even made, really making any money. We was just starting out. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. But, but I just told you that story there. But there was a lot of little other stuff in between. Okay. You know what I mean? So when that happened, it was kind of like, man, this this is just a dirty business. Okay. You, know I mean? you have to be, you know, your moral integrity has to be zero. Yep. to be in this game mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? and mm -hmm. i was raised by a woman that instilled some moral integrity in me I am so i'm not going to be able to do this you know and i'm the type of person with anything even writing these books if i'm all in i'm all in yeah you know what i mean so if i'm going to go out there and be a drug dealer i'm going to be the best drug dealer okay. you know if i'm going to be a gangster i'm going to be the best gangster okay <laughs> but in order to do that you're going to have to kill people yeah. you're going to have go to jail, mm -hmm. you're going to have to be, you know, people going to have to try to kill you. You understand me? Mm -hmm. I don't need to live that life. <laughs> I see how this story is interesting and uh, getting the picture of 
someone changing a life out of a forgiving act. I mean, uh, because the others, and I mean, uh, other experiences that I've had from people, uh, they went to a point of no return, and then that's when they made their own mind that they're gonna change. But uh, it was a forgiving cop that made you realize that you're on the wrong path and decide to change. That, that's interesting. I don't know if he was so much forgiving as mm -hmm. maybe it was the end of his shift. Okay. <laughs> and, and it was a it was four cops. It yeah. wasn't one. Four cops. Yeah. Yeah. They jumped. It was. They were undercover. They weren't in uniform. That that makes them uh, makes it even more interesting. I mean, right? They jumped out <laughs> the car. They were detectives. Yeah. So they jumped out the car. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm. I, I didn't think. Yes, it was a forgiving gesture. Yeah. yeah we want to look at that at it that way. But that gun to the back of my head telling me they was gonna blow my brains out. Listen, I don't know how forgiving it was at that time. You understand what I mean? Yeah. And like I said, you don't know. It could have been the end of the shift. Now you got two guys, you got all this crack. Now you gotta bring them in, you gotta book them, you gotta do the paperwork, you gotta book the evidence. They ready to go home. You know what I mean? This, this ain't even the guys that they looking for. You understand what I mean? So you yeah. look at that ever too, right? You understand what I mean? Mm -hmm. I get it. I guess you. So at this point, you're confronted by four cops that uh, get some stuff from you and- uh, Not for me, I didn't have none. I wasn't carrying nothing, okay. <laughs> right? Let's say, let's say, whoever is in the company of a wrongdoer- Yeah, they could have got me for that, but you know, that, that was a real story. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been my defense. I ain't had nothing on me, no, forget it. <laughs> okay, so what steps did you choose to take from that point onward? Uh, well, the whole reason that I was doing it in the first place was that I had gotten laid off from my job. I, okay. I needed money. Mm -hmm. So I went look for some work. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I ended up getting getting employment. I, I, I was only doing that because I had nothing. Mm -hmm. No money, no nothing. Yeah. And I was still with my grandmother, my great grandmother. You okay. know what I mean? I'm thinking like what? Uh, 18, 19 at the time, okay. you know what I mean? What kind of 18, 19, you know, you're living with your grand, great grandmother, you know, asking her for money, you yeah. know, for things and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've always been the type of guy, I like to work, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I work a job, I like doing overtime, I like working, I like making money. Um, but that was like out of necessity. Anytime I, I indulged um, in any type of illegal activity such as that, Okay. It was out of necessity. It wasn't out of uh, glory or grandeur. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah. I, it was only acceptable to me mm -hmm. because I saw I saw members of my family when I was growing up doing it. Mm -hmm. so it wasn't such taboo. So you say if they are doing it, then it might be something good. So I am gonna do it also. I mean, not I, that it was something good, but yeah, it was not bad about acceptable. it. I get. Like nobody's looking at you saying, you know, you 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 selling that stuff. You know what I mean? Nobody yeah, was yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, anytime it, it, it was out of necessity, but I've always worked and I, I, I like working. I have no problem working. So okay. if it was an opportunity to work and make money and earn money. I had no problem with that. That was out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you had to find a job and get a source of living. Then you get life moving. How how easy was that, or how hard was it to get back on track and uh, keep on moving? Well, I've always been a hard worker. Yeah, as you I've say, always, as yeah, you say. I've I mean, always, I've always, and I've always had jobs. Yeah, you know, my first job was at Fordham University as a dishwasher. Okay, you know, so it was it's never 
it's, it wasn't hard as an adjustment yeah. to working. Mm-hmm. You know, what I, mean? I think uh, what happens, and I was still young too. Yeah, you know, you know about nineteen, twenty, and stuff like that. You want to be uh, paid what you feel you're valued. Yeah, you know what I mean. A lot of jobs out there, mm-hmm. but I think at that time, I. I I wanted the job that I, I was valued. You know, I was doing like a security guard work. They was paying like minimum wage. I think minimum wage was might okay. have been like be thirty five or five dollars an hour back then. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not enough to, to 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 earn a living off of. Around so, what year are we talking about? Say again. Around what year are we talking about? Nineteen eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven. That's a long time ago. <laughs> oh, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's good to see that you're still living and you don't look that old, even at that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 52. Yeah, my birthday was yesterday. I just celebrated my uh, oh, third happy birthday. birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Uh, Thank you. Celebrate what year? 53. 53. 53. Yeah. Glory 50. to God. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so happy birthday. And uh, I wish you many more. And uh, I wish you, I I mean, I wish that many people are going to benefit from the story they are going to read from your books and uh, draw some lessons from it and live by them. And uh, this could be the reason that you wrote the books or what drove you, what, what inspired you to put those into writing? those experiences? Well, um, first, therapy. Okay. You know, because you just think now, you and I have only been talking, you know, maybe for about 20, 30 minutes, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I told you a lot of things, that's not even half, you know, not even a, a smidgen of the things that are in the book about okay. life, but just the beginnings of what I was t- telling you, you okay. know, about my life, you know, yeah. being abusive and, and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, all that at some point comes to a head. Yeah. So I, you know, and you, you just a lot of anger. And like I said, I always fighting and always, you know, that, that was my life, man. always fighting something mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. So at a point I, I, I sought therapy. Okay. And after I told him the story, mm-hmm. I told him the whole story. Mm-hmm. He was like, you should write a book. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Okay. Now he and I ended up bad. Okay. No, because he did something bad. Mm-hmm. Sometimes professionals aren't always professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was with the guy for about a year, and he must have said a thousand things to me, but I only remember him saying, you should write a book. Uh, okay. And I started writing the book. Okay. And as I started writing it, you know, you kind of like, you just, you start remembering things and you bring it all out. And then I would let my wife read it. Now, remember my wife been with me since I was 15 years old. So mm-hmm. she knows most of the stories. Yeah. You know what I mean? But even she uh, was intrigued by, by the book. Yeah. So I said, oh, okay, we might have something here. You know what I mean? So I kept yeah. writing and kept writing. And then, you know, once you start getting to the flow of things, you know, next thing you know, I got three books out. And then I have my ideas for book four, five, and six. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's going to end at six books. But yeah. that's kind of what inspired me. They, they, I, they start. 
I get you, and uh, it's good that you started some eight years back. I just uh, released my first book about three months ago, and uh, people are reading it, and they are saying, hey, why is book two? Why is book, we are waiting for book two. Now, the interesting thing is uh, something that you mentioned, uh, that your wife is intrigued uh, from reading uh, some of the stories that you're giving. For, that, that's how interesting it is. When I wrote my book and I gave someone to read the manuscript, and he's coming me and telling me stories. I'm kind of, are those stories that I share? <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I mean it becomes interesting once you st uh, start writing. And um, for you, you say it was kind of a therapeutic, you, a therapy, something of that. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And uh, it has been good all through. I mean, it keeps you writing and writing and getting some uh, inspiration, some motivation. Oh, you know what, what happens is, remember, you know, I'm 53 now. Yeah. So I look at a lot of things in hindsight when I'm writing. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was 20, I wouldn't have been able to write this. When I was 30, I wouldn't have been able to write it. Yeah. With my age now, I can look back with wisdom mm -hmm. and understand what I was thinking, Yeah. why I did the things that I did, why I was thinking the way that I was thinking. Mm -hmm. But now, a lot of times when it's happening, you don't understand what's going on, mm -hmm. you know? But you might look at something, even in relationships, you know what I mean? Yeah. You'll look back if you broke up in a relationship or whatever, mm -hmm. and you might be like, okay, you know, I could have done this differently. Yeah. I could have done that differently. Even in an argument, maybe I, could, I, I didn't have to say this. I didn't have to say that. So time, age, wisdom, all those things make a difference and contribute, you know, to the factors. So can we agree that uh, age is a big aspect of how you perceive life to be? And uh, you gain- so, you, got a, you got a lot of old dummies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, I mean, we, let's be real. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, 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 you know, um, I, I heard someone say one time, people don't change. They just grow old. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. So now there's a lot of young, wise people and young, wise people. What they do is they learn from their mistakes. Okay. Yeah, sure. We all make mistakes. Now, if we turn around and say that we don't, we're lying. Oh, so as young people, we all learn from our mistakes. Now, which was great about the book, when we have guidance, a mother and father and nurturing love and all that stuff, we tend to make less mistakes in life. Mm -hmm. And when you don't, you're going to make more because your mistakes are made trial and error. Yeah. But Inevitably, it all comes around to if you're the type of person who learns from your mistakes or if you repeat them. And that's important. Now, if you learn from your mistakes, you're going to grow, you're going to grow wise, and you're going to make better decisions, and your mm -hmm. life is going to change, and, and different things are going to go in your life, and you have children, and you're going to, you know, you're going to relay that, you're going to spread mm -hmm. that to your children, and you, you, you can. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're a dummy, and you don't make wise decisions, and you keep making the same mistakes, and you keep continuing the same behavior, guess what? You're not going to move. You're going to stay the same way. And guess what? When you have kids, you're going to teach them to be the same way. And you're going to teach their kids, and they're going to teach their kids. And guess what? You know what I just described to you? The American ghetto. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> I get it. So that's how a ghetto that was there in the 50s, the 40s, back then, is still a ghetto today because it's been repeated over and over. Absolutely. Yeah. But there is a difference. Yes. Which is? The so-called ghetto in the 30s, 40s, and 50s mm -hmm. were family ghettos. Yeah. Still, there were still two-parent households. Mm -hmm. Okay, still poor, still poverty. Yeah. The 1960s is when certain policies and certain policies came into effect, um, which allowed women to not need men. Yeah. Welfare system, etc. Mm -hmm. And then you started having a lot more out of wedlock births. Okay. A lot more ghetto bastards being born, should I say? Mm -hmm. I was a part of that. Yeah. So that's when the welfare system sprang up and it was beneficial for women to have babies. Yeah. So you had these women out here having two, three, four, five, six kids and no husband, mm -hmm. no, no family structure. Yeah. And they're showing them how to beat the system, uh, how to get free money. Mm -hmm. Everything that I'm saying about not making wise decisions. Mm -hmm. This is what happens. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much. And you say that uh, one of the reasons that you wrote the book was uh, for it being therapeutic for you. I mean, and uh, that not only being the case, because if you are writing for only that purpose, you would keep it to yourself. But now it's out there in the public. Uh, what is your main reason for putting it forth to us so that we may read? What could we get from the book? I mean, what's the picture that you want to portray and uh, the lessons we want you want us to draw from it? Well, a picture that I want to project is that life is not easy. Yeah. To struggle, but you mm -hmm. never give up. Mm -hmm. The book has several. One, I wanted to humanize also people from the ghetto okay. because a lot of ghetto bastards were just statistics. Mm -hmm. You don't know about it. You hear about it, people getting shot and killed in the ghetto all the time. Mm -hmm. Just go to New York City and turn the news on. Okay. Those are statistics. Yeah. It said that the death of one person is a tragedy. The death of a mass number of people is a statistic. Uh -huh. And that's true. Mm -hmm. You understand? Yeah. So I wanted to put a face on the people that are the statistic. Okay. The people. I had a cousin that when he was 13, he was killed. Yeah. He was a statistic. You understand? So I wanted to put, he was a ghetto bastard too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. I wanted to put a face on the unforgotten people. Okay. Because okay. in the 1950s and the 1940s, the out of the 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 the, the, the out of wedlock birth weight rate was 20%. Mm -hmm. Do you know what it is now for minorities, for black people, the American ghetto? It's 70%. That's high. Look at statistics. That's you can look those up. That's true. Yeah. You got 70% of people born in the ghetto who have no father, who have no structure, who are not, who do not learn how to love, how mm -hmm. 
how to become um, structured, you know, uh, 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 members of society, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? They learn the ghetto and it's a continuing cycle. We get it. And uh, this book could be a hope to some of them that are getting lost once they read it and uh, they get to see the light. I mean, well, I think what the book too, I wanted two reasons. That's, that's one also to show, hey, listen, I come from where you come from. I didn't have a mother. I didn't have a father. I didn't have grandparents. I didn't have this. I was abused, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. then I also wanted to be a book that non-minorities can read and look at minorities differently. Mm -hmm. Now, let's get another picture of you now out of the ghetto and your writing. Apart from writing, what other things could you be doing that uh, could be of interest to us, maybe? Uh, well, right now, we're also trying to get a screenplay done of the book, mm -hmm. um, writing book four. Yeah. And doing a lot of interviews, um, also trying to promote the book, get the word out there, getting people reading about the book, okay. um, spend a lot of family time. So all of, those, all of those things incorporated, man, it takes a lot of mind time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, where you stand now, I mean, because, uh, okay, I don't know, maybe the book is bringing in some something substantial that is keeping you going, but, uh, Many of the authors that I've met, uh, before they hit that high note, they have got to sustain a family. And do you have kids, by the way, if I didn't? <laughs> right. I, I, you have um, a wife, you have kids. I remember what I told you before, I've always worked. Yeah. I always worked because, mm -hmm. you know, what do they say? Hope for the best, plan for the worst. Yeah. Okay, so I've always had a job and I always keep a job. I've worked for the state. I work for the county. Okay. You know what I mean? So I have I, I have pension. Yeah. So I have income coming in. So this is kind of gravy, the books, <laughs> in a sense. You know what I mean? Understand, yeah. But you know, I'm still young. Yeah. And a lot of the things, you know, uh glory be to God, of course, a lot of the things that I already have, I have a nice home, I have property, you know, I've raised my family already. A lot of things that I already have. People are working on. People are trying to get. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm kind of on a different level now. But see, all these things that I have now, I worked hard for. You know what I mean? I worked hard over. So I know hard work uh, prevails in the long run. I know that. You know what I'm saying? So it's kind of um, it's kind of been a hobby. But then I started going on a little book tour. Yeah. And people were buying the books. Ah, that's good. And the people that were buying the books were not minorities. Okay. And you would think because of the title, because a lot of times, I don't know, did I show you this book already? Get a bastard? Yeah. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> but um, a lot of times people will see that title and uh, automatically assume it's a certain narrative. Okay. And then they start to read it. Because let me tell you, once you read the first two pages, mm -hmm. you're, you're hooked. You're not going to put it down. And where can we find it? You can find it on Amazon. Yeah. You know, Russell Van, just look me up. You can yeah. go to ghettobastard.com, and that's my website. And I got a little blog going on there. Yeah. Um, it'll direct you. And if you go to ghettobastard.com, on the first page, there's a picture, there's a, a, a video. Yeah. And it's actually a Caucasian lady reading it. She's mm -hmm. reading the first chapter. 
Okay. And it's mesmerizing, it's captivating. Yeah. And it will make you go, oh man, uh, where, where, I got to read this book. I got to get it. Ah, that's good. But it speaks about the ghetto and, and what it does, like I said too, it, 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 you know, I'm just saying white people, I keep saying non-minorities and stuff like that, but white people, you know what I mean? Yeah. It gives them a chance to look into the ghetto and a lot of questions asked. Because a lot of times, you know, in this, in this um, culture right now, in this atmosphere, you can't, they're afraid to ask a lot of questions out of offending somebody. Mm -hmm. I get you. I get you. We can't just have a general conversation. Society. Yeah. yeah, out of, you know, and a lot of white people, and even Spanish people, people, Japanese people, all kind of, they're curious about the American ghetto, okay? <laughs> about the black people in the ghetto, but they're afraid to ask because all they seeing is people killing each other, stabbing each other, the dope fiends, the junkies, the pimps. So they think those are the only kind of people. So that curiosity is stifling, you know what I mean? They, 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 they can't really be inquisitive about it because they're scared, there's a little bit of fear. So this also gives you that inside look, inside the ghetto to let you know, hey, look, we're human also. And then like I told you before, it's also a love story. And you've come and changed the narrative. You know, it's not uh, once in the ghetto, always in the ghetto. Now oh, no, no, no. Once but there's some people like that, though. <laughs> some people like that, though, now. You know, we, we're not going to say there ain't no people like that. Like I said, you know, not all old people are wise. You uh -huh. know, we got a lot of dumb ones, but guess what? They was dumb when they was young, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's a whole, you know, that's the, I think that's what happens. Like, a lot of times, people try to put people in a box. Yeah. You're in this box. You're this. You're in this box. You're that in this box. You know. Now look. No. Hey, let me. Hey, let me get you right now. And I bet you're not even thinking about these glasses now, are you? <laughs> there you go. They had it all, all over here. You ain't worried about the glasses no more. So, hey, I do it real quick for you. Bye. Now, see, look at that. Someone is saying those are gangster glasses. No, they can see. That's their narrative. See, that's what they told them. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. Hey, you know what? They would say that, but see, I'm going to show you something. I have a ring, right? You see my ring? Yeah. That's somebody that said that's ghetto ring, right? I'm going to put that ring real close. I don't know if you can see it. You see but, what that ring say? Uh, uh, God. Love God. Love God. That's what my ring says. Yeah. You but somebody that you got to get up close and personal to see that, to know me, to understand me. But yeah. besides, you look from a distance and be like, oh man, I got, I got that big old glory ring on or something like that. That big glory ring is giving glory to God. You understand? But if you're looking from a distance yeah. and you're judging me, you ain't going to get close to know me. I've which is good because if you don't, if you're judging me, I don't need to know you. I've seen these over and over and over and over again. And you meet with someone and someone says, that's a black guy. That's someone from Africa. That's someone. Now, this is a man from the ghetto. He's speaking something totally different, getting people out of the ghetto. But this is how you get them out of the ghetto. You don't take them and remove them from the ghetto. You change their perspective, your mind, uh, their mind and the way they see things. And then if you can change your, their mind, you can influence their mind to think differently and see a different picture from what they've been seeing, then they can get out of the ghetto. Bam, absolutely. You Bam. hit it. Bam. Right? No, there you go. You hit it right. You said, man, you, did you read my book? Uh, I'm going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody that is listening to this uh, video, please go get the book, Ghetto Bastard. is going to give you some 
In ghetto bastard by Russell Van. By Russell, not just any other ghetto bastard, no. That's right, Russell <laughs> Van, right. And, and remember, ghettobastard.com, you can get all my information. I got a little more philosophy on there. Yeah. And all you can go to Amazon, like I said, and it's one of the Amazon's bestseller. Also, right. know that there too, so you can go there and get it. So um, we can share those link, uh, links on the video and people can just click. People these days are lazy. They don't want to go and search. They just want to click and go. All information right there, ghettobastard.com. <laughs> Every place, it's, it's all on there. So once again, thank you very, very, very much, uh, Russell Van. We appreciate having you on our show. But as thank always, you. before you. you go, I'm always asking someone to share with us some little bit, some, how do you call it? The parting shot. Tell us something. Something, some knowledge to live by? Yeah, something interesting. Okay, something good. yeah, I'm gonna tell you something to People live by. thinking once we've stopped watching this video. <laughs> live, love, and laugh. Oh. Everybody wants to know what the meaning of life is. If you do those three things, all of that is gonna fall into play. Live, you know, live, live love, love, and laugh. And laugh. Oh. That's interesting. That's what life is all about. Because if you don't do those things, what is life all about? Is it worth living? Uh, we're gonna remember that always. If you don't love, is it worth living? Hey. <laughs> if you don't laugh, is it worth living? You can always be sad all your life and not appreciate hey. anything. Hey. Only if you let life do it to you. But if you live, love, and laugh. Listen, sometimes when you by yourself, especially like I said, love story, you know, you got somebody to live, love, and laugh with, oh, it's all the better. Like they say, two was always better than one. Uh, and I always say, look up above and ask help from above to live your life the way you should. Well, I showed you my ring, then I say, then say yes, love God. Love God. Thank you very much, Russell Van. We really appreciate you. And uh to all those who are watching, remember to subscribe to our channel, uh, Book Place, or go to our website, Book Place Media. Please follow us and share this video with as many people as you can. And please don't forget to take Get a Bastard from Russell Van. Thank all you right, very much. I love it. I love it. Bye-bye.